0: He assured me that the song before my message had nothing to do with me, Lord have mercy on us, (laughs) but he was quick to point out that that might be the interpretation. So today we want to be looking at Luke chapter 15. It's a collection of parables. You've probably heard a lot of sermons about Luke 15. Uh, It's the passage that everybody talks about things that are lost. There's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and of course, then there's the lost son that we all talk about, the prodigal son. But nobody ever really preaches from Luke 1 to 7 about the lost sheep. And so today I thought that we would do that, and I brought Bob with me. Uh, Bob is number 86, I think. That's what he says right there. And this parable is about a man who has a hundred sheep. And it means that uh, one of them is lost, and it's probably Bob, because Bob is always running off and doing crazy things. But it says that one of them was lost. And a lot of times we focus on the fact that the sheep was lost, but we miss the point that the flock, the, the fold, was not complete. And that broke the heart of the shepherd, that there was one missing. And I want us to think about how God knows us, And loves us, and I would like for us to think about what this parable might mean to us today. So we'll put there, and he's 86, I suppose, now he's 98. So, all right, so we'll talk about Bob here in a moment. But I want to do something first. I want to prepare our hearts for worship. I want us to prepare our hearts for what we're going to receive, I've been doing uh, speaking for many years and and you have listened to many sermons and some of them have been okay and some have been great and some of them get you to lunch, right? That's the hope, that you get out of here in time to beat the Baptist to the restaurants. I know, I know. But the fact of the matter, we're coming before God and we're going to look at his holy word and it's my desire, not that you'll remember about Bob or the chalk but that you will remember the truth that we see today. Because truth is important to us, because we need truth to help discern which direction we should go and how we should live. So it's not on my slide this morning, but I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear the words of Psalm 139. The songs we've sung have already brought some of this out. But from Psalms 139, listen to what David says. David the sinner, David the king, David in the lineage of Jesus. So close your eyes and listen to these words as they speak to you. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down, and you're familiar with all of my Ways, Our Heavenly Father, today as we think about those words and recognize you know us, you know our ways, you know our name, it goes on to say in Psalms 139 that our days have been ordained before they were ever written in the book. You are the God who knows us and loves us, and it says in Psalms 139, you have hymned us in, behind, and before And you know our thoughts, you know our past, and you know our future. And yet we learn that you are a God who not only knows us, but still loves us. And so, Father, today as we look into your word, may we remember that we are known by you and that you have never left us nor forsaken us. And that even though we have walked in paths and directions and briar patches and caught ourselves in all kinds of messes. You still search for us and you still long for us to be a part of the fold. So Father, forgive us today for those things in our lives that prevent us from walking side by side with you. Father, forgive us for those thoughts that we know are not of you. But most of all, Father, remind us That even though you have searched us and you know our hearts, you still love us completely. So, Father, help us to center on that today. That you know where we are and you still love us. We are loved today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall of humanity. We all know what happens in Genesis 3. That's that's where the apple is taken. We all think that it's an apple, right, that Eve took bite of. Remember that story? Do you remember? Well, I don't think it's an apple. I always think it's a pear because pears are just nasty fruit. They're gritty. Nobody should eat them. And the Bible clearly says that God cursed the pear and cast them out of the garden. We always kind of put that together, but I think it was a pair. But you know where it began was with two questions and two inquisitors. Satan comes to Eve and asks her this question. What do you believe about God? God really tell you that this fruit is not good for you? Do you question what God has said? What do you believe? And it says that Eve looked upon the fruit and said, well, it looks like it ought to be good to eat. And it says that they ate of that fruit. The second inquisitor was God. After they had fallen, after their eyes were open, after they'd found some fig leaves, they went and they hid. And God came and he says, where are you? This idea that God would seek and ask the question, where are you? God knew, but he asked then, did you do what I told you not to do? Have you taken action upon information and it has brought you to this place where you are hiding from me? You know, this summer, we have a, a little garden patch in Del Rapids. It's not very big, but... Uh, it can be prolific on certain things, but this year we decided everything that was going on. We just weren't going to put much effort into our that meant was that our strawberry bed took over. It went crazy. We planted some tomatoes in the corner and we thought maybe they could survive. But after we came back from a particular difficult time, we had been gone for a couple of weeks, right there in the middle of our strawberry bed was a plant that we didn't recognize. It was an invader. And it looked like that down there at the bottom. Had a beautiful flower on it. It was about three feet tall. Stood right there in the middle of our strawberries. And it was like standing there and it was so proud and it looked so beautiful. We like that plant. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody? Do you know? He doesn't know. just, Just waving at me. Yeah, I like that. You know, in some churches, when you say a point that they agree with, they say, amen. You know, you can do that if you want to this morning. Yeah. If I get off track, I know what you're supposed to say, and that is help him, Lord. So just, you have the freedom to do that. Well, this is actually a variety of nightshade, which is very poisonous. But we didn't know that beautiful flower in our garden. But then it started putting on these berries up here at the top. And they were about the size of a blueberry. Look at them. I mean, they look pretty good, don't they? So we did what anybody would do. We went on the Internet. We Googled it on the World Wide Web. And some of the people, though, told us that there are various varieties of nightshade, and some of them are actually quite delicious. You've never experienced the of a nightshade berry. you got to try it. My grandma makes the world's best berry jam out of these berries. One guy said, I'd even eat oatmeal if I had some of them on my oatmeal. But then there were those who said, you better not, because it'll kill you. Well, what do you do when you have conflicting messages? Which authority do you listen to? Eve says it looks good. I bet it's good to eat. But God says it will kill you. It will bring death into the world. And here we were in our garden in Del Rapids asking the same question we ask all the time. What do we believe and what do we put action into? In theology there's a word called praxis. Which basically means, if this is your theology, how does it show up in your life? How does it show up that God loves you even though He knows you? Why are you such a grouchy person if you believe God loves you completely even though He knows you that well? How can you be a grouchy person? How can you be cranky with your neighbor? How can you be impatient with your spouse when you know that God is such a loving God? How does it work out in your life? This idea of praxis is important. And it shows up in our theology. It shows up in the scriptures. And so today we're going to take a look at sheep and shepherds. Now I suppose if I ask you to quote a passage on shepherd... Where would you go? What's the first one? What's the number one? I feel like I'm... Psalms 23, right? Absolutely. What's the second one? No? That's right, John 10. Glad you got it. John where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Uh, he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd, so he's making a contrast. Jesus was talking about the difference between a good and a hired shepherd. You know that if you had a small flock of sheep, you didn't have to go out and be with them all the time. You could actually hire somebody to go out and take care of your sheep. And they would blend them in with their flock. And you could pay them a portion of what it cost to to take them out into the pasture and take care of them. But he says a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, because when he sees the wolf coming, what's he going to do? He's going to leave the sheep and he's going to flee. And the wolf is going to come and scatter them and eat them. Sorry, Bob. Okay, He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. He says, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for my sheep. Here's some theology for you. Do you believe that God is the type of God that would send his son into the world to take our place to cover our sins and lay down his life so that we might live? Do you believe that? Yeah? Of course we do. That's the bedrock. And Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, we're we're united. This idea that God knows us and we know Him is the bedrock of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of knowing God and knowing that God knows us. Now the thing that I find really, really unfair about the passage in Psalm 139 It says that God knows everything before we do it. He knows our thoughts. Now, I've been married for 42 years, right? Two? Okay. I can't remember. This year was Saran Wrap or something. I can't remember. But But the idea that Esther would know everything that I think about is just downright scary. Husbands, this would be a good place for an amen. Right? (laughs) Yeah? What if they knew everything I thought? That would be unfair, but it says God does. He knows our ways and He knows our thoughts. Not only that, it says that God knows our days before they were even ordained. Before we were born. Before we were in our mother's womb. So think about God when it comes to your salvation. The fact that God knew every sin that you were going to commit on the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I have to tell you that when I first became a Christian, I was so excited. There was such a a release of my shame and my guilt. You remember what that was like? Do you? Amen? Yeah? (laughs) Wow! And then I felt like I was juggling grandma's china. What happens if I sin again? What happens next? Did I blow it? Do I have to do it again? No. It says we have become part of his flock. One of the hundred. Jesus goes on in John 10 and he says, I have other sheep that are not. Of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, of sh- and there will be one shepherd. He said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again, and no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is also part of our theology. The ability of Christ to come and be our sacrifice and still remain God. The idea that Jesus is willing to lay down his life and the idea that God is not done. He says there is still other sheep that need to hear my voice. I've often thought that if as soon as you accepted Jesus Christ you were somehow or another transported right to heaven there was no chance. Right? Of sinning again. Why are we still here? What is our purpose? What is our point? Why does God leave us here? The idea is that we recognize what's important to the Father. The Father's desire is that none should perish. God loves the ones who are still missing. The flock is not complete. There are still those who need to hear there are still those that through our ministry, through our life, through our story, we can tell them about a God who is so filled with mercy that he knows us completely and still loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. We're still here because God has determined that the fold, the flock, is not yet complete. Now you look around and you say, yeah, but I've, I've got my ticket punched. Right? Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Gospel Fluency, he said that a lot of people only believe two-thirds of the gospel message. First of all, he says everybody will talk about the historical Jesus. We can talk about what Jesus did and we can have a good knowledge of His words. We can talk about those things. And the second thing is that we know that it's going to benefit us in the future. That when we die, go to heaven, and we will get a mansion, right? That's what we've been promised. Mine will have a three-car garage. At least. Maybe a half-bath in there. Three-car garage, half-bath. That's all I I need. We'll walk on streets of gold. What else? The third part is that we are to live out our theology in front of the world. We're to be his ambassadors. We are to be explaining to people about why our lives have been changed. The wonderful shepherd that we have that is not a hired shepherd, but actually one who is the good shepherd who loves us. This idea that it is not complete unlocks for us the parables we find in Luke 15. In Luke 15, We have the the parable about the lost sheep. If you look at the progression, it says that there is a lost sheep, that it is found. And when it is found, it says that there is rejoicing. The lost coin, it says, when it is found, that she also rejoices because she has lost her coin. Now, what do you think a coin was worth? It said that she had lost a silver coin. Well, that's a drachma, drachma. It was worth about a day's wages right so it depends on how much you make how much do you make anthony where are you yeah there he is in the back pew okay i hope they upped your pay here last couple of months while you're kind of leading the church here that was a plug for anthony okay anthony i get 10% but how much do you make now i came in wearing my chiefs mask because i'm a chiefs fan that's right there should be an amen, right? We have a quarterback who signed a contract for over $500 million. Yeah? Pretty good. He makes $137,808 a day. Want it again? Yeah? I mean, that's more than I make in a week. Right? Weeks and weeks and weeks. (laughs) So, no wonder she was excited when she found it, but she rejoiced because it was now complete. She now has 10 days. That's what she had. She wanted it to be restored. The last one is a family. There is a father who has a son who leaves, and then he returns. And then there's rejoicing. And we usually stop there, but it's not the point of the parable. The meat of the sandwich goes on when it talks about the older son. It says that the older son refused to come in. The older son refused to be with the father. So even though the younger son, his physical heart was separated by, his, by a space of miles from his father... The older son, his heart though physically there was as far away as it could be and it says that he refused to come in and the parable ends in sort of an open-ended way It says there was no rejoicing. The older son didn't come in. You have to remember the audience. The audience says, chapter 15, Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They were like the younger son. They were the ones that just everybody knew that they were sinners. We know who those people are, don't we? And it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Because they were saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. How could that be? And Jesus begins to explain that the desire as the Father is for wholeness. And he tells those parables. He says, What man of you having 100 sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? It says that he had lost it. The shepherd had lost the sheep. It says that he was after that sheep. I've always wondered, this one over here on the right has got a number 19 on it. I don't know if that was some teenage prank, you know, going out and autographing sheep or not, or if that means that's supposed to be for table 19. I don't know. But there's two sheep up there, and we sometimes think, well, what kind of a sheep was it that was lost? Was it a sheep like Bob that got himself into trouble time after time after time? I don't know. Because I wonder, because it says, and when he has found it. This is where your theology comes in. After you have wandered away, after you have found yourself in a pickle, after you have ended up in a place that you know you shouldn't have been, after you find yourself with fig leaves and hiding in the brush, And God comes calling and says, where are you? What is the anticipation that you have of how God will receive you? What is your anticipation? You know, when I was 12, 14 years old, my family uh, went to visit my uncle who lived in San Diego. He was stationed there. And he thought it would be a lot of fun to go to Tijuana, Mexico. Now this was before all the border walls and and guards and all that kind of stuff. So that would have been, well you don't need to know, I was 12 14, you do the math. But we had been everywhere, and I wanted one souvenir from Mexico. I wanted a belt, a leather belt, with my name in the back, in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? Get you a big old buckle, it'd be awesome. Be like a girl magnet, it was something I wanted. And I looked at every little store that was out there, but it was getting close to time to go. And I was getting anxious because I hadn't purchased my belt, and I know my dad when he says it's time to go, uh, we go. And so we were gathered around this little fountain. And I could see one distance that I knew had one of those belts that I wanted. And so I turned to my dad and I said this to him. I'm in Mexico. Our car is across the border in a a gravel parking lot. I turn to my dad and I say to him, I'm going to go get my belt and I'll meet you at the car. And I left. And I didn't hear my dad, nor would I have listened, when he says, no, you come right back here. You don't go to the car without us. I don't know why we were saving time. I just meet him at the car. I got my belt crossed the border by myself, 12, 14 years old. I found our blue station wagon with the, the, the box up on top that my dad had made out of plywood. Pretty easy to find. I did that and I crossed, I went over there and my mom and my dad and my uncles and aunt wasn't there. So like any reasonable person, I said, oh dear. I must have got here too soon. They're probably still back there. I better go find them because my family is lost. I crossed the border, I went to the fountain and they weren't there. Ah, Now they're back at the car and I crossed the border again. Still I didn't find my family. So I went back to the fountain. Still wasn't there. And as I was crossing the border somebody grabbed the back of my shirt. It was my uncle. And he seemed rather glad to find me. Yeah. I didn't know I was lost. They were lost. And I was rather concerned about how my dad was going to treat me. Yeah? I think he probably had a different a purpose for my belt than he had. <laughs> Just saying. But then I remembered what we in the scripture about fathers. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray, all turned away. And everyone has gone on his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. So I don't know whether you think that you're one of these white, pure sheep that's never wandered away, or whether you're like number 19 up there that's got a few scars and a few nicks, or whether you think you deserve to be, I don't know, shish kebab. What is your response? How do you know how God will treat you? Well quickly I want to remind you about what happens in Luke 15. It says, and when he he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. And here's what Jesus wants us to hear this morning. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And the story about the woman who has lost the coin, it goes on and it further expands and it says, not only that, all of the angels in heaven will be rejoicing when a sinner repents. Is it because we have seen our wicked ways? No, it's because we're back in the fold. We're back with God. Yes, he's concerned about our sinful lives. But the idea that God loves us and wants us to be with him. There's a passage of scripture that I hope you've found over the years in terms of Christianity. It's a passage we find in 1 John 1. And he says, this is the message. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What does that mean? God didn't change his mind about sin. He provided us the way for the sinner. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth, he says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. This idea that after we have accepted Jesus or when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the sin matter has been dealt with in terms of redemption. You got that? So when you accepted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, there was an adoption that took place. God knew all of the sins you have committed and all of the sins that you will commit. You buy that? Okay, let's think about that. The parable of the uh, prodigal son, he came back and he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And what did the father say? "Yeah, You're still my son. When you accept Jesus Christ, all of your sins, from the time that you were born until you die, are covered by his righteousness. It, it says that those have been taken care of. However, in terms of a relationship, there are sometimes things that need to be dealt with. If you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. You can be married, but you can have a really big fight. And it takes some time to heal up. And Jesus... Or, Uh, John says in this passage, he says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his truth is not in us. Then he goes on, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. This is the praxis part I want you to hold on to. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are reconciled to God. This is a covenant that God ensures, that God solidifies, that He gives to Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that covenant. We are His we are part of His flock. We're part of the hundred the completeness. But He also says that as we walk with Him there will be times that we wander away. That we're outside of the flock and when those things occur He will come seeking He will come looking And when we are found, when we come back, there will be much rejoicing. God rejoiced. Heaven rejoiced when you accepted Him as Lord and Savior. But they also rejoice when we make a decision to return to the flock, to return to the Father. And we know that when we do, it's not a Father who is there who is vindictive, but it's a Father who loves us. Who has provided for us and knows us completely? Let me pray for you this morning, Heavenly Father. This morning, I want to thank you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are a God who knows us completely, and you still love us because we you are your children, that we have been created in image, and it is your desire that we would have fellowship with you. And so, Father, there may be those here this morning who have not yet made that decision to become a part of your flock to accept you as lord and savior and to be a, receive this adoption that we do not deserve. Romans 3 says that there is now a new righteousness that comes through faith or grace apart from the law. For well, we know that we can't earn this freedom, this privilege of being into your kingdom. And Father, we ask that you would continue to call on those hearts today, that they would respond to your desire. None should perish. Father, also, I want to pray for all the bobs in the congregation the ones who have wandered away, the ones who are holding thoughts that they know are wrong, the ones who think that they are getting away with something because they haven't been caught yet. For those, Father, who are struggling for those who feel unloved, for those who are fearful, I pray, Father, that you would remind them and assure them that you are a God of love. We ask these things in Christ. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.